This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth from Forbes. I'm Sam Abul Samad from Navigant Research. I'm Rebecca Lindland from Rebecca Drives. And so the gang is all here again, uh, once again, I guess Finally. after yeah, after a while. But last week, Sam, you you had the episode with uh, Ed Niedermeyer and, and discussed his book Ludicrous. So that was cool uh, that we yeah. were able to squeeze that in. Yeah, and uh, and the week before, uh, I posted up um, a podcast that I did uh, some for somebody else. For I'm at I'm, right now. I'm actually in California in Santa Clara, um, uh, doing a talk tomorrow. As we record this, it'll be tomorrow. By the time you hear this, it'll probably be in past tense, but uh, at the Drive World Expo at the Santa Clara Convention Center. And um, they asked, uh, they had somebody doing a series of podcasts uh, leading up to the event. And so I had a talk with uh, Jack Heslin about uh, the panel I'm moderating on Thursday, which is uh, the road to level five. Is it uh, paved with um, good intentions? Uh, good intentions and lots of potholes. Yes. Cracking yourself up over there. I do. Look, if nobody else is going to laugh at my jokes, by it's, golly. It, you know, it, it's, it, it's a typical, um, you know, it, it, the, the road is, is, you know, typical of what you'll find in uh, Southeast Michigan or, or in San Francisco, um, which means it's, it's not going to be smooth. Look, if we don't move on, I'm going to start singing. He's not heavy. He's my brother. So, which is, <laughs> <laughs> um, and and by move on, I mean let's talk about what we're driving. Uh, and wait, did, did we let did, we, did Rebecca introduce? Oh yes, she said that she was okay. from Rebecca Drives. If you okay. want to, and and right. if you want to go to find out what she's got on her mind about cars, you should go to RebeccaDrives.com. Exactly. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> do it. Do it now while you listen right to the now. podcast. Um, because you have like short reviews and no, stuff. No, you know what. Listen to the podcast first, then go read it. Then go read, yes, and yes, yes. I have I have two hundred word reviews. See, that's pretty good. That's I mean, it's that's that's a challenge to get you know to get a meaningful review into two hundred words. Well, because you've done it, Sam. You've you've I've, I've, a I've attempted it. You know, yes. I've crept over that two hundred word threshold a little bit. But. That's okay. I fixed it. Okay. <laughs> they have to be meaningful. Oh, yes, that changes oh. everything. I know, right? I, I used to write like fifteen hundred meaningless words for Autoblog. <laughs> hey, maybe we should do like the Tinder of automotive reviews, so all of them are really meaningless. That's a good <laughs> <It's>, idea. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and we could do like a car buying app. We could call it like Driver instead of Grinder, and that never. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, uh, right. oh boy! So I know. our listeners missed us. <laughs> I miss this. Uh, so, Sam, while you are three minutes in, and we're already off the rail. Yeah, you know, let's get us back. Uh, so, while you are in San Francisco, you are driving pretty much like two studio apartments around um, in the, the vehicle. More, yeah, or or at least two, maybe more. You know, um, I, I think you know you could probably have um, you know you could probably have six people sharing an apartment the size of the Lincoln Navigator. <laughs> Um, and it would probably cost them each about a thousand bucks a month. Uh, so it's, this is, and judging from our Slack, which nobody else can read, but us right now, um, you will get the impression. This is definitely not the ideal vehicle for San Francisco. No, I mean, and we've talked about the navigator before, you know, I think, I think I'll probably all three of us have driven it, driven it at various times. And we've talked about it on the show before. And, you know, 
as big luxury SUVs go, it's hard to beat the Navigator. I mean, it is, it is really nice. But in San Francisco, if you've ever driven in San Francisco, it is like, especially in the city, it is any, any vehicle of this type, not just the Navigator, but, you know, Escalade or any, any big SUV is like the antithesis of what you want to be driving in San Francisco. You want something that's small and nimble, easy to park, uh, because, you know, it's a challenge to park anything in San Francisco anyway. And it seems like the, you know, the highway lanes around here are even narrower than, than normal in other parts of the country. So, you know, with all the traffic here, you know, you're always on the lookout. Fortunately, you know, this thing, you know, it has, you know, a full suite of, of driver assistance features. It doesn't have lane centering, unfortunately, but, you know, it's got a lane keeping assist and blind spot monitoring and adaptive cruise. And that the adaptive cruise in particular is crucial if you're going to drive in the Bay Area because the traffic is just nuts. You know, it's, it's 36 miles from here to San Francisco. I'm in Santa Clara right now in the South Bay. 36 miles to from where I was uh, earlier this afternoon in, in in the Soma part of San Francisco. And it took me over an hour and a half to get back here. You know, it's, it's just crazy, the traffic. Um, but the, you know, the 30 way power seats with the massage system in there. Oh man, is that nice to have when you're sitting there stuck in traffic, you know, you <laughs> want to fidget around, you know, just have this, just turn the, the massaging seat on and just let it do its work on your backside. It's fantastic. I, I love that. <laughs> awesome. I do. You know what? The, I had the Navigator uh, back, I think, last year. Yes, last year. In uh, and I happened to be in California as well, but I was in Southern California, and I I picked it up. I want to say in San Diego, and I drove it up to uh, the KBB offices and in Irvine, and then I continued up to Santa Monica. And it was actually really, really good. Like I was oh, yeah. very, as, as I was navigating, no pun intended, as I was navigating through terrible LA traffic, I was really pleasantly surprised at how well it drove, how well it handled. And, you know, it didn't feel too big. I, you know, that's what I was really, I was, I was absolutely shocked about actually. Well, yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, it doesn't feel as enormous as it is, but it is still enormous. And fortunately the, the, one, the one I'm driving is not the XL, which would really be ridiculous for me driving around by myself, you know? Yes. And so this is, this is the standard length navigator and actually it, it, the, the uh, active park assist feature is actually really good. It's very helpful for when you want to parallel park and, San Francisco, you know, because it'll measure out those spots for you to figure out, is there enough room to actually manipulate this vehicle into the space? And when there is, you know, then, you know, you activate it and uh, just let it do the steering. It's, you know, it's still, you know, the older style system. Some of the, the newer vehicles that, that have these systems, uh, including, I believe, the Aviator uh, version, you don't actually have to shift back and forth between reverse and drive and and hit the brakes you know it does all that automatically um but you know this one just does the steering for you and tells you okay now stop switch from reverse to drive or drive to reverse whatever um you know and it it steers the vehicle into the space and you know did it in one nice clean you know seamless motion uh and i've, I've in the, over the last couple of days i've done both perpendicular parking and parallel parking and it, it works really well so that's 
in a vehicle this size, you know, it, it is very handy to have that. Well, you know, and it's, it's actually getting surprisingly decent fuel economy given, you know, that I've been driving, you know, and mostly stop and go traffic. Uh, you know, it's getting, it's averaging 18 miles per gallon, you know, which that's, for, yeah, that's not that bad. I mean, it's, yeah. is it doing a lot of start stopping? It, it is, but the start stop system is, is fairly seamless. You really don't notice it most of the time. Um, you know, you know, and the, the navigator, like all Lincolns, you know, is quiet inside and, you know, there's enough isolation that even, even when the engine restarts while your foot is on the brake, you know, which is the, that's the scenario that most people complain about most is, you know, when you're sitting there at a traffic light, if it's a long light and the engine restarts, you sometimes get that shutter. There seems to be enough isolation, you know, in this thing that, you know, you barely notice when the engine's restarting. And, you know, this is not something that, this is not a vehicle you're going to be drag racing with from every red light because chances are there's going to be a car stopped in front of you right on the other side of the intersection anyway. Um, so, you know, even, even if you're, you know, even if you have to wait half a second for it to refire, it's, it doesn't matter. I, I thought you were going to say, because chances are there's going to be a Tesla next to you and they're going to accelerate faster, but. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, no, actually, I mean, the chances are, yes, there will be a Tesla, but it ain't going to be accelerating any faster either because, you know, nobody's going anywhere quickly around here. <laughs> it Look, sounds like you love the place. They are burning yeah. money at a prodigious rate, though. That's that's what they are. Yeah. Um, hey, that's that's Silicon Valley for I, you, man. Yeah. You I, know, with, with the exception of with the exception of a handful of, you know, really big companies like Apple and Google and Facebook. You know, startups are built to burn money. I yeah, and they, boy, are they good at it. I I am surprised. I, I I guess a little surprised that you don't like the size in the city. Although I think, um, because my experience parallels Rebecca's a little bit. Is yeah, I really liked having a larger SUV for my city excursions lately. But on surface streets, it does get to be a little cumbersome. I think if you're if you're on something like the four hundred five, or the five, it, it is probably better. Um, yeah, it, it's 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 more it's more of an issue when you get into the city. Yeah, you know, especially like San Francisco. You know, if you spend any time driving around in San Francisco, there's a lot of really narrow streets, and in, in some cases, they've gotten even narrower in recent years as they've increasingly put in things like protected bike lanes. Uh, which is great. Yeah, I was uh, gonna say that's good. Right that's good. Be, but, be car hostile, please. <laughs> but you know, for for you know, for a city like that, you know, this is the you know, this is the the wrong kind of vehicle for that for this kind of city. Um, you know, a lot of, as you said, the the driving dynamics of it are actually shockingly good. You know, given its its physical dimensions, you know, it doesn't it doesn't drive like it's as huge as it is, but it is physically large, and there's. There, you know, it doesn't matter what it drives like when when you have a large vehicle in a small space, you have to be very careful maneuvering around. And, you know, I would, you know, driving around San Francisco, I would much rather be in a Chevy Bolt than in a Lincoln Navigator. It, you don't find that it's it got that certain bit of intimidating gravitas where you can just put it where you need to be <laughs> instead of. Well, I mean, you know, when it comes to, you know, intimidating other drivers, yes. But, you know, when you're talking about movable navigator versus immovable objects being, you know, buildings and curbs oh, and, yeah. and all other other obstacles, 
you know, that's, that's a very different situation. Yeah. Um, that they're, 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 I'm talking about the kinds of situations where intimidation is just not going to be of any real benefit to you. Did, did you, did you do any, any bullet style driving with it? Um, no. Cause and, I, and frankly, it, that, that would be, it would be hard to find a place in San Francisco where you could actually do that. These I, days. I think with the EcoBoost though, you could get that thing to just sail. <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely. No, ab- no doubt about it. I mean, you know, 400 horsepower, you know, it's, that's not, you know, it's not that it doesn't have the performance capability. It's just finding the physical space to do it. I mean, if you've ever watched bullet, you know, that's, that's that version of San Francisco from 1968 does not exist today. I don't think it existed in 68 either. They just closed the streets. Well, probably, probably not, but, uh, but I think it was much closer to reality than, than what exists here today. You know, I think there's an opportunity for them to make a bullet edition navigator in Highland green. <laughs> <laughs> and then they could do a commercial. That's just the absurdity of watching that thing fly <laughs> over the hill. I think it would be great. Just recreate the chase scene with a navigator. Uh, Lincoln, call me. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, but that before fun. you left, you were, you were actually in uh, a much tidier. Uh, oh SUV yeah. Still. Uh, you, uh, yeah. So an SUV that actually would have made a lot more sense in San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, which is the, the Alfa Romeo Stelvio Quadrifoglio. Um, and, you know, we've talked uh, on numerous occasions before about the, the Julia and um, I've, you know, I've previously driven the two liter Stelvio and I finally got into the, the Quadrifoglio. And well, actually, I, I did have a chance last year to drive the Quadrifoglio at the Mama Spring Rally at Road America. So I've driven it on the track. You know, and it's, it's an, it's an amazing vehicle, you know, that the, you know, that 2.9 liter twin turbo V6, 505 horsepower designed by Ferrari, you know, is a fantastic engine. Man, does it sound uh, good. <laughs> it, it does sound amazing, especially when you put it in dynamic mode and just, you know, open everything up and, you know, having the, the all wheel drive on there, you know, gives it a little, that extra little bit of stability that, um, you know, makes it much easier to drive at speed. And, you know, last week while I had it, you know, I, uh, took it for a road trip to uh, go to Columbus from, from my home near Ann Arbor, uh, to Columbus, Ohio, um, to, uh, to visit Honda. Uh, Honda was doing a, a safety event at their R and D center, uh, near Mar- in uh, Marysville. And, uh, so, you know, I got the chance to put, you know, several hundred miles on it and, you know, when you put it in, in natural mode or, or automatic mode, it, uh, you know, it, it's a little more, it, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it doesn't feel, you know, it's not something that, you know, is going to beat you up. You know, it, it's very comfortable to drive. Um, you know, the sound, you know, the exhaust, you know, closes up that extra valve in the exhaust system that makes it a little, a little more sedate sounding. So, you can spend several hours in this thing, you know, on the, on the highway or driving on country roads without, um, you know, without feeling like you've been thrashed for hours. Um, you know, it, it's, you know, it's not, it's not like driving the navigator by any means, but it, it is something that you could easily use for a road trip and, you know, come away feeling relatively refreshed. And, you know, it, it came with, uh, adaptive cruise control and, and, lane keeping assist and things like that, which, you know, when you're doing a long highway drives, you know, are nice features to have. Um, didn't have the kind of traffic to deal with that I've, that I've had out here this week. 
Um, but you know, it's, it's a great vehicle and you know, the, the seats are really comfortable. You know, they're really supportive when you're driving it hard through corners, but they're also very comfortable for a long trip. Uh, and, uh, it, it got actually surprisingly good fuel economy. It got about 23 miles per gallon. Well, you, you know, know you had the throttle vehicle. open the whole time, so there's no pumping losses. You know, it's just. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, that I knew, I knew there was a good reason it's, why. It's, good explanation just, for that. Just trying to help. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, the, since the last time I drove the, the, uh, the Julia uh, and the Stelvio, they've added in Android auto and Apple CarPlay, which, which worked really well. Uh, and it's controlled by the, the center rotary controller. Uh, so that was good. Uh, and, yeah, you know, that you know, infotainment system, the last time I was in Estelvio, really, it felt like it, 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 it felt like not as expensive as the rest of the car. It felt very FCA. And, and it's not to say like bad, but just like not, not, even, not even high end FCA, like compared to, you know, the, the latest Uconnect systems, you yeah. know, it's not as capable as those, but it works fine. You know, and with with Android Auto and CarPlay, you know, it's it's even better. Um, you know, the, the only real downside to this thing is it costs $95,000. Well, you, uh, you got to pay to play, man. That's, that's, well, I mean, and, and, you know, that, that included $8,000 for the carbon ceramic Brembo brakes. So, um, you know, if you can, if you can forego the, the carbon ceramic brakes, which unless you're going to be taking it to the track on a regular basis, you probably don't need the carbon brakes. They are fantastic <laughs> when, you're, when you're driving it hard, but, um, you probably don't really need yeah, the one, uh, yes. So you can save a bit of money there. It's so funny to listen to you, Sam, because so much of what you said, I wrote in my when I had the Stelvio in the fall, because I wrote it about the fact that I, you know, the potholes of New York, it really took them with amazing aplomb. It, it just it, I couldn't believe how nicely it rode, even though it was this sport. CUV. I mean, it really is. It's a sport. It's a sports car. That's an SUV. And the one that I that I had was eighty five thousand. So it didn't have the ceramic brakes, but it was it was so good. I love this car. I think it's just tons of fun. I yeah. And, and if you live somewhere with with winter weather, you know, just get a set of snow tires for it. And with the well, all wheel drive, because the all wheel drive, you can't you can't get all wheel drive on the on the Julia. Right. Um, and this one does have more ground clearance. So, you know, I had, when I had the Julia or last, the Julia quadrifolio last year in, in February, you know, I had it, you know, when we got 10 inches of snow right after the Chicago <laughs> auto show, remember that, that storm yeah. that hit yeah. the Chicago auto show last year, okay. you know, and then, and then it swept through Southern Michigan. Um, you know, and I came home to find the Julia in my driveway with 10 inches of snow on top of it. Um, <laughs> oh you know, God. and with three inches of ground clearance, doesn't matter how good your tires are three inches of ground clearance ain't getting you anywhere. So the Stelvio, you know, is a little more manageable if you, if you want to drive it year round in those kinds of conditions. Yeah, no, I, I thought it was absolutely, absolutely fantastic. I, I love it. So, you know, I guess the, the sort of elephant in the room with alpha is how is it going to hold up? And I realized that after a week with it, you don't really have much of a, much of a handle on that, but just, Watching the relaunch of Alpha in the U.S. and not really the Stelvio, but just the the Julia has had the opportunity to get into some long term fleets, and the results have not been promising. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, car car driver had a couple of issues with theirs. Yeah, I, and so like that's the thing that like a ninety thousand dollar car, it's unique, and maybe if you have the money to spend on it, you also, you know, it's sort of like the Tesla owner thing where you you can put up with it. It's it's a luxury car. You live a luxury life, and it's not that much of a disruption if your car needs to be down for the count for a while, but if you really need to rely on it, I'd just be, I I'd be nervous about it. And I, I hate to say that because it's such a wonderful, different offering on the market. And I would like, you know, younger Dan, the older Dan would tell younger Dan, wait until these things are like super cheap and you buy the cast offs of the rich because they've gotten tired of fixing them. And you see, you buy them when they're 10 years old and learn how to fix them. <laughs> and then you drive something quite nice for short money. Uh, that, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad this thing exists. Uh, you know, and if I had the kind of money, you know, if I had a hundred grand to spend on a car, chances are it wouldn't be the only car in my garage. So, you know, as you said, it, it's probably not really that much of an issue for anybody that can actually afford it. Uh, so, you know, I, I would, you know, if I could, I would probably have one, but I can't. So there. I'd I'd still have a hard time paying that much for a car. Well, you wouldn't if you had millions of dollars. I mean, <laughs> I I think that you know some of the most skin flint people I have ever run across are the ones sitting atop the largest pile of money. Of, of course, yes, but I will. But I don't know if I've told this story before about. When I worked on the Ferrari 250 GTO story out in California, uh, in Seattle, rather, that there were three alphas that showed up. Two, uh, two of the owners of the garages, both one was a caretaker of one of the Microsoft executives. The other one was my friend Greg, who had an alpha who owned the Ferrari 250 GTO, and then my friend Tom. And he had the Julia. And now Greg has switched his Julia for a Stelvio now. But, you know, it says something that these people that can buy anything they want, their daily drivers are the Alpha Prada. And, I mean, in, in Carmel, out at Monterey Car Week, they were everywhere. And they weren't dealer plates. These were personally owned vehicles. They were absolutely everywhere. It was incredible. You do see a lot of them, you know, um, like in you know, Monterey and, <coughs> and even here in the Bay Area, uh, a little bit further north from there. You know, when you get off of the freeway, you will find a fair number of them around, a surprising yeah. number of them around. I, I and think also in L.A. People want something different. That's, mm -hmm. you know, what resonates with them is that this is not something that you're going to see every day. It has, you know, a lot of driving enjoyment. Or, you know, in their minds, it's under a hundred grand and, you know, that's their price point. Well, and, and, and but too, they, like, they were I, everywhere. So, I mean, and your, your friend Greg may not be sort of the best uh, uh, representative, but did he, did he buy it or did he lease it? Uh, he probably bought it. Yeah. He tends to buy his, you know, I, I, I'm my, my friend Tom, I believe leased his, uh, but, you know, but the, I mean, they, again, like they these are people that can buy pretty much whatever they want. Right. But but I mean, even like a high end lease, like puts you in something 
new and different and yeah i mean the payments are high but it's well it's and it's fun to drive that's what they look at and they say you know this is something if i'm going to have a daily driver to the office it's got to be something fun it's choice and And if you have the means i recommend it right (laughs) and even even if you go for the you know the base two liter version even that one you know that's 250 horsepower you know that one is also fun to drive and it has you know that unique look that doesn't look like an Audi or a Mercedes or a Lexus. You know, it's, it stands out in the crowd. Right. It's something different on the road. And, you know, speaking of, of Monterey and Pebble Beach, I was a judge at uh, the Aston Martin event that they had on Saturday where they have uh, uh, the sunset center in Carmel and they invite Aston Martin owners to come and, and talking to them because I judge not just the car, but the, the story behind the car. Why did you buy this, this vehicle? And the theme was so consistent across the board that it was something different that, you know, it, not everybody has one like a Porsche or something. And, and that it was just such a consistent theme. And I think that's what we hear, you know, with these alphas too, that it's just, it's something different. I mean, I'll buy that. It's, uh, it's, hard to not it's it's hard not to like an suv with a ferrari engine i mean <laughs> as long as it doesn't have a ferrari badge on yeah, exactly. that would be sacrilegious <laughs> for now we don't want no no ferrari suvs should ever exist <laughs> I, but this 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 is as close as we should get and i'm glad it exists do you do you feel really that strongly about it that there should never be a ferrari suv yes absolutely okay. All right. You have to draw the line somewhere, Dan. I, I, I mean, we've got Lamborghini. We've got a Lamborghini SUV now, a Bentley. You know, come on. Yeah. There has to be somebody who forgoes the SUV craze. I, and if there is somebody, I would vote for Ferrari as well. I don't know. I, yeah. I mean, if I'm Ferrari, I'm just like, oh, we could make us so much a lucre. <laughs> Filthy lucre. <laughs> they already do. I know, but they could make so much more. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not invested enough in Ferrari to, uh, to really get offended by the idea. Um, I just hope if they do it, they execute better than Bentley or Lamborghini because man, the Bentayga is just so hideous, and the Urus is boring as shit. I would say the DBX from Aston is gorgeous. It looks like an Aston. It it has beautiful lines to it. It's actually surprisingly large from uh, sitting inside of it. I, I was really, I was very, very impressed by it. It's really, it's very pretty. So right. you'll have to observe judgment. They'll show, they'll show it. They'll okay. show the full uncovered soon. Okay. Well, let's pivot. And then- well, just before we do, just okay. real briefly, I, I also you know, in between the the Gladiator or the, the oh, Stelvio sorry. and arriving in California, I spent a few days with the uh, Jeep Gladiator, and uh, you know it's like driving a Wrangler but with a pickup truck bed on it. Yeah, it's it's so, like it's like, it's like it's driving a Wrangler towing a trailer. Just, yeah, and it's I but, I. but you know the the thing you know this was an overland you know it was trail rated. And, you know, Re- I think Rebecca and I, you know, both drove it um, back in yeah. June at the uh, the Chrysler What's New event yes. and, you know, on the on the off road trail. And, you know, aside from, you know, the longer wheelbase, meaning that your, you know, your breakover angle is going to be a little bit less than what you can achieve 
with a Wrangler, which is shorter. Everything else, it has, you know, all of the off-road capabilities of a Wrangler. So if you need to go like literally just about anywhere, but you also need a, a bed to haul some stuff in while you're doing that, the Gladiator is your, your, uh, your machine. And there's, was, there's nothing else like it. There isn't. And I was actually really surprised at how long it was. Yeah. I mean, it's a, yeah. it's a big vehicle. It, but oh, yeah. really, really capable. But yeah, and it's interesting because it it is it is long, and I've I've sort of uh, I guess carped about that a little bit. But it doesn't drive like it's that long most of the time in most situations. It's, it's no, fine. it doesn't at all. The drive, the ride, actually, the drive and the ride and the handling was really, really nice, yeah. like the Wrangler. Yeah, it's very, no, I agree. It's very, very jeepy. You know, it it doesn't like highways for the most part. At least the the, the gladiator um, that I drove for, I I drove a gladiator for all of like sixty miles. Um, but yeah, it was it was like we're we're good at sixty five. You don't have to go faster today. That's fine. <laughs> I I didn't I didn't have any complaints about the way it drove on the highway. You know, it seemed to track well. Um, you know, <clears throat> I I did uh, drive it. Not on the highway, but I did. I took a couple of the the roof panels off, the front roof panels off. Oh, fun! Good and, for you. And uh, you know that was quite windy, yeah. uh, but you know, other, other otherwise, you know, fun. Um, I, I left the doors on this time, so um, yeah. I mean, if you know, it's not it's not inexpensive. You know, the one I drove was fifty five thousand um, dollars. But like I say, if you if you need a pickup truck that can go, you know, virtually anywhere. Um, the, the Wrangler is your pro- probably your best choice. Well, yeah. And, and how long have we been clamoring for this? And I think, they, did I say years. Wrangler? I'm a gladiator. Yeah. Yeah. 14 at, years. At least, 14 years. Yeah. Well, pro- actually probably longer. When, when did they last build the scrambler? That was like in the late 80s. Oh, the scrambler, oh. the last scrambler was 84. But they showed, yeah. they showed there were gladiator in 2000 at the 2005 Chicago auto show. Right. Um, but wow. you know, I mean, even before that, you know, there were, there were Jeep fans that wanted a return of the scrambler. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, you know, it's, it's about time. But I, you and know, I, s- I, smartly though, they didn't make it like a scrambler in the sense that the scrambler was, was like a two door. It was. Yeah. It, it, well, it, I mean, back in those days, there was, there was no four door CJ. Right. Yeah, I mean, that was back still in the CJ days. Right. So, you know, today, you know, very few, if anybody buys, you know, a standard cab pickup truck of any kind. Uh, you know, they want they want crew cabs and extended cabs. So, it, you know, I think it, it was the right move to do uh, a four door. Um, the, the only, you know, as, as pickup trucks go, I guess, you know, maybe the one downside in this thing is the, the bed is, I think, relatively shallow, you know, compared to some of the other midsize pickup trucks. Um, but, you know, aside from that, you know, it's it's got all the functionality you want. Yeah, they've been pretty clever with it, the way that you can prop the tailgate, too. So if you need to haul sheet material, it'll actually fit atop the uh, the wheelhouses in the bed and then yeah. the, the tailgate will support it. Um, so that's that's clever. And, you know, there's more RAM under the Gladiator than you think. And oh, yeah, the, the frame, the frame is actually the RAM frame. It's not it's not a Wrangler frame. Yeah, and it's got a Ram fifteen hundred rear axle for the most part. Um, yeah, <clears throat> pardon me. So I, I think uh, this is basically the high end version of a smaller Ram pickup that's going to come at some point. I, I think agreed. We'll see that. Um, and and that's good. You that. know, I think they've done a nice job with it. Um, 
But yeah, let's let's pivot for a moment to um to the vehicle that's gotten you in trouble this week, Rebecca. Because <laughs> I don't have, I never have this kind of luck that that you have. <laughs> I I usually, usually wind up with the summons. <laughs> so I'm driving the 2019 Honda Civic 2.0 liter four door Sport, and in it's uh, it's atomic red. I mean, it's so bright. It's it's just absolutely, as my mother calls it, it's arrest me red. Yeah, sounds like it blends uh, and, in. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and, it, yeah, and it's, it's, it the nearly, same, it's the same red as my wife's car. Yes, and it nearly lived up to its name. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this one is is uh, it's it's a little bit unique in that it is the four door sport as opposed to the hatch. It's got 158 horsepower, 2.0 liter engine, four cylinder, six speed manual, which I was delighted to find out. Uh, however, I the manual is so good and it's so much fun to drive that on, I had only driven the car a couple of miles and I was coming down a hill on what's equivalent to like the Boston post road here. So it's two lanes in each direction. And I exceeded the speed limit. <laughs> this is, this is in cool. Greenwich that you did this? <laughs> this is in Greenwich. Okay. And it was at night. I, I, it was late at night. And sure enough, I, I looked down and I was going 15 miles over and I put my brakes on, but not in time. And I was only in third gear. So a officer of the law pulled me over and I said, did, to, did you I cry? Explained, no, it never works for me either. It never worked. <laughs> I did that when I was, I did that when I was 20 and it didn't work and I've never done it again. Uh. So no, I just explained to him, I said, you know, I told him what I do. And I said, you know, I was testing it. And I said, honestly, I said, this is like, I Don't barely you know who I am officer. Right? <laughs> you know what? Everybody in Greenwich says that though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't you know? <laughs> well, I bet. Yeah. But everybody funny. in Greenwich hasn't been on TV as often as Rebecca. Has. <laughs> that's that's but, true. But it is kind of funny. Cause you know, he does hear all these crazy stories about what people do here. And so I just told him, I said, look, I said, I realized that I was going fast. I immediately put my brakes on. I said, you know, I understand. And I said, I, I was in third gear. He's like, wow, this thing is really fast, isn't it? I said, it's just surprisingly so. Like, And, you know, especially because it's not even the turbo. But I think I just, I honestly, I just take such great joy in a manual transmission. So we had a nice little chat. And then he, you know, took the license and the registration and stuff. And then he was gone for a while, which, of course, had me concerned because I thought, gosh, you know, maybe some of my other, you know, indiscretions have shown up. (laughs) (laughs) But in fact, no, he just came back and he said, you know, I didn't know what to do with a distributor plate. Right. Oh, I love and, it when they do that because I'm like, yes, that just means right? a warning. <laughs> California distributor plate. And then he said, he goes, he goes, do you live here in town? And I said, I do. I said, you know, I just live up the road. And and he's like, oh, OK, you know, and so he was super nice. He was he was absolutely lovely, as the majority of Greenwich cops are. I've, I have always had very nice interactions. I actually take self-defense class at, uh, with the Greenwich police department. So, um, he was, he was lovely, but yes, I, so I got out of the ticket. He just gave me a warning, which was awesome. And don't you know, the next night coming home from the train station there, I am going 50 miles an hour again. So I slowed down. So I'm trying to be very, very careful. So but- 
it's hard because yeah. this car is so much fun. Well, you know, <laughs> and and one thing that might help you is I, I have a, a a test of um, radar detectors that I will will be publishing oh. in the next uh, oh, couple of weeks. I would love that. Um, but yeah, there are there are radar detectors that can can warn but you I, so you can I speed with impunity. I don't know if they're illegal in Connecticut. They are I not. They are legal in all 50 states except for Virginia. All right, so in oh. 49 states except for Virginia and D.C. Because oh. D.C. is part of Virginia. So Right. Okay. Oh, that's good to know. No, that would be good. Because I do think, I mean, if I had had a radar sitting up there, it may have aggravated this. Might have, might have tweaked his, uh, yeah. It may have yeah. tweaked his interest a little Yeah. Little like, oh, what's that? But, Nothing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the car itself is is really good. It's so much fun and it's got a ton of safety features in it. It's not luxurious, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty stripped down, but it's also, it's $21,000, 21,150 and then 920 for the destination. So 20, just over $22,000 for this just really, really fun sedan. And, you know, it has 18 inch alloy wheels. It has Honda sensing standard. Which is it's, it's, that's standard on all Civics this year, right? And that's fantastic, you know. So it has adaptive cruise. It's got the collision mitigation braking system, the forward collision warning, the lane departure warning, lane keep assist, road departure. I mean, these are such fantastic, uh, uh, you know, safety features that will help young drivers and and drivers of all experiences, really. But I think especially young drivers. And so, you know, I really like that. It's got the Apple CarPlay and Android Auto integration. And it's just overall, I just think it's a terrific vehicle, especially for that price point. Yeah, I, I agree. When, when we were buying our Civic a couple of years ago, um, you know, at that point, the, the, the Sport is a new trim on the sedan this year for the for 2019 yes. model. Um, at, you know, when the, the hatchback came out, they had the, they added, they had the Sport on the hatchback from 2017. Um, and, you know, the sport trim level is, you know, basically the, the base EX tr- or LX trim level, um, but with bigger 18 inch wheels. Um, and in the case of the hatchback, because the hatch only comes with the turbo, the one five turbo, you also get an extra six horsepower. So bumping it from 174 to 180. Um, and at that time, uh, I'm not sure if, if that's, if it's still the case, but at that time, if you got the the sport hatchback because it was based on the the LX trim level it had the base radio which is the non touchscreen radio which means you didn't get android auto and carplay right. uh, i think they've now made that standard that radio stand the, the touchscreen radio standard across the board now yes. so you know you get that in there um and plus you know now you also get the the, the honda sensing package as standard equipment previously it was it was an extra cost option uh, which we paid for, but yeah, I mean, it, it's a really good value. I mean, the, the main reason we didn't, the, the main two reasons we didn't go for the sport um, two years ago was, was the radio at the time. And also um, the 18 inch wheel living in Michigan, um, <laughs> you know, figured, you know, having a, that little bit of extra sidewall with the 17s that are on the, 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 uh, the EX trim right. um, was, was probably more useful than whatever little bit of extra, lateral acceleration you could generate with the the 18s uh and the and the slimmer tires um because you know i've i've had to replace a couple of wheels over the years you know due to pothole damage and so you know i figured that the 17s would be a better choice uh but yeah i mean it's 
the, the Civic, the current generation Civic is, is a fantastic car in you know, pretty much every respect. And personally, you know, you know, if I was buying again, um, you know, I, you know, I would do as, as we did and, and actually go for the hatchback as opposed to the, the sedan um, yeah, for that extra utility, that. because there's so much space, so, you know, so much useful cargo space in the back there. You know, if you're, uh, you know, if you're putting things like, you know, uh, roll up inflatable paddle boards back there and, you know, all kinds of other stuff. Um, inflatable you know, things. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Um, you know, it's, he's it's snickering just, about this. It's, it's excellent. It's just, it's just, it's just more useful, you know, more more practical than the than the sedan. You know, sedans, you know, uh, especially you know modern sedans that are usually like that coupe like profile. You tend to have a very small trunk opening, and you know, having having the hatchback, I, I find to be very handy. Yeah, no, I I love the hatchback. I I agree, but you know, if we think about, uh, you know, like the hatchback, the you get the turbo. Exactly. But when we think about like the traffic that you're struggling with this week, Sam, you know, if you if you can, if you can have that opportunity to have a sedan or a hatchback to have a car, basically, Mm -hmm. rather than an SUV, I, you know, at least it's fun. And I actually had a manual transmission when I lived a manual transmission Acura Integra when I lived in San Francisco. And let me tell you that you perfect your hills your hill oh, control yeah. very quickly. <laughs> and oh, that was, right. of course, you know, before the days of hill assist <laughs> and all those different things uh, when I lived there in the early 90s. But uh, but it's, you know, it's just, it's a way to reconnect with the car, in my mind, to have a manual transmission and to have a car for your commute as opposed to an SUV. You know, totally agree. and that dovetails really well with one of the cars I was driving over the last, like, nine weeks since we've been away. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I had a, a Toyota Corolla SE with the manual transmission, with the six-speed manual, and so it's about it's about an even match for the Civic Sport in terms of price. I, I'm sure that the Civic Sport is sportier. <laughs> um, yes, you know the, the Corolla's not bad. Uh, I, I think that they've really cleaned up its um, it, it's it's. It, I guess the sort of the impression it leaves, you know, in SE trim, it just, it felt good to drive. Uh, it, it had bad, really good steering, uh, compared to the BMW. I drove the week before that did, did not. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I was like, wow, this thing has awesome steering. Uh, you know, the chassis tuning was, was good. It's, it's the, uh, the new, uh, TNGA platform. So it's pretty solid. It's a good size sedan it has a good size trunk. It's, practical you know you can just flog it forever and it's it's gonna just keep coming back for more uh you know so all the things that that make the civic another flavor of the same kind of thing you know it's just a good solid sedan for twenty two thousand dollars and has a manual if you want to shift for yourself i i think that i enjoy driving manual hondas better than i do manual toyotas because uh, of the, the programming, you know, the throttle programming was a little weird and sluggish on the Corollas. So it would it would do things like ignore when I was like flipping the throttle for especially for like heel toe downshifts where the, the pedals weren't spaced right. And, you know, all that stuff oh. seems to be better on. Yeah. On Hondas. Um, well, I mean, the manual transmission is supposed to be engaging. It's not supposed to be a punishment. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, like, right. as if like you can't afford you know a ma- an automatic. 
Right. You know, it, that's, it's not like it used to be. Right. And right. It, like now, especially like there are some cars where you, you pay extra, right. For a manual. I, I can't think of an exact example, but maybe that's true. I don't know. I would. <laughs> especially well, if it's yeah, good. I, I mean, how many even offer, you know, I'll maybe, uh, because I'm supposed to be writing for Forbes now as well. Maybe I'll <laughs> write something about that because I think that might be kind of interesting to look at at who is still offering manual transmissions, especially like yeah, as a reward as opposed to a punishment. So how did that's, that's increasingly find, rare? How, I would love to find out from our listeners who has a manual transmission today. So why don't you tweet that to us? Like who uh, whose personal car is a manual? You mean? Yes. Let yeah. us know. I'd love to find to do a little survey of our listeners to find out who currently drives a manual, whether as their daily driver or, you know, frequently or just has one in their garage. I think that'd be fun to find out and what it is, of course. Well, I'll put up I'll put up a Twitter poll on the, the wheel bearings cast account. Okay, cool. That'd be I fun. Mean, if I had a garage, I might have one. Uh, <laughs> but how did the Civic do like on the highway? Was it did it would it settle down and cruise at like a decent um, engine RPM and, and that kind of thing at like you say know, 60, honestly, 70 miles an hour? You know what? I honestly I didn't drive it. I'm trying to think. I well, I mean, how does I, it do in town when you're doing 70? It's not, <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, no, I did. I did drive it on the highway. Um, I had I it was in stop and go traffic because it was it was Sunday in the summertime. Um, but it was pretty good. You know, it was quiet. I was, yeah. again, pleasantly surprised, especially because Hondas historically have had trouble with road noise. Right. And so this was this was very quiet, very well behaved. Uh, you know, it's it, it's. It's always difficult, you know, I when I'm in a manual, on the one hand, you get such nice torque because you can control that the downshifting and, and, you know, being able to move around at the same time especially in stop and go, you know, it is something that you have to think about. Do I, you know, how quickly can I get this thing going? So I think I, you know, but overall it it was very good. It was, you know, I, I just enjoyed it. Yeah. It's one of those cars that I look at and think, you know what, you can, you can stay a while. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it, it was, it was very, it was nice and quiet. I did. It was funny. I did kind of, struggle at first with the uh um with the radio of all things i couldn't seem to find the right source it was just a weird little glitch but you know me in technology and i can break it if, if you need it to be broken uh but once i got that sort of sorted out i we, we were friends again and so you know it just it just it handles really nicely i really think that it's just a terrific car it was it was totally fine on the highway. I didn't drive it a lot. I I probably drove it fifty miles round trip on the highway. Uh, but certainly around town, it parks itself. You know, it's it parks very easily. It can fit anywhere. It's you know a really nice size, and the visibility is actually really good in it as well. It's a manual seat, yeah. uh, which I don't always like. I do wish that they would spring for the electric seats because. I think it helps drivers of all sizes uh, be able. But it's to a very comfortable manual seat. It is a very comfortable manual seat. It is, and I was able to adjust it, you know, sufficiently. And so, I, it just, you know, especially for that price point, we we talk a lot about how incredibly expensive vehicles are, and I think you get just an awful lot of value 
for your money um, from Honda these days. And I do think that they're going that little extra step. The materials are nice. You know, the, the fit and finish is really lovely. They're just doing, they're just, they're going a little bit further than some of their competitors. And they have to do that, right? Especially with like Hyundai and Kia, as we've talked about in the past, you know, really upping their game. Um, and, and of course, our favorite Mazda, you know, but they, they've got to do this. And so it's imperative, I think, you know, to stay relevant, to stay competitive. Yeah. And, and I, so that was the thing that I found. It's funny that you say, you know, it was quiet and it was, it was sort of settled because that's where I found that the, the Corolla sort of fell down. It was actually kind of loud and yeah. it was geared yeah. short. So I'd be doing know, like 3000 RPM on the highway. Uh, and it would, it'll definitely like, you could definitely crank it up speed wise. <laughs> you just have to wait a little bit. So really it reminded me of the cars that I, I sort of cut my teeth on, you know, the mm. cars that I learned how to drive where they weren't all that powerful. They had manual transmissions. You had a high amount of control. It was really hard to get in trouble with them. Uh, yeah. you know, trusty handling and, you know, like you said, all, all the, the positives that make a solid car, the, the good visibility, the decent size, all, all of that are, are there. So um, I'm glad that we got to sort of compare and contrast the two. And there's there's I think the Honda probably wins if you're if you're shooting them out in terms of sporty, small cars, that the Honda is probably the one to get. Yeah, I would. You know, I'd love to see Toyota up its game and do. Well, those... I think they have. Well, but I but I also I mean. I, I preferred the Accord to the Camry. I thought the Accord was more engaging and nicer to drive and yeah. more fun and quieter and more refined and more luxurious and just more, more, more. Yeah. And that's what I mean is that, you know, I think that these, these two volume products, the Corolla and the Camry versus the Accord and the Civic, I think the, con- the Honda comes out ahead of it, of Toyota. Yeah, I, I won't won't argue with that. Um, and then so let me let me finish up uh, briefly here to like the other couple of things I was driving. I drove a BMW uh, 330i X Drive, and the the short take on that is like it's a good luxury car. It's not a real good enthusiast car. His steering is not <laughs> I like great. How you hesitate. Yeah, no, I mean <laughs> it's just it's not the three series we once knew. It's it's fine. Uh, it's handling is a little weird. Uh, it, it rotates funny in the middle of turns. It's entertaining once you get used to it, but boy, for the first couple of days, does it mess with your inner ear? Uh, what does that mean? It, Wait, it, what? It, it, so you'll be in the middle of a corner and you'll yeah. it'll start to feel like it's initiating a, a slide, initiating oversteer. And it just, it, it doesn't, oh. it just, it just moves. It rotates a little bit and it, you know, sort of takes a set. So, most cars, you know, they, they do that all at once. They, they, all of those moves are choreographed so that it, it does the rotation and takes a set and settles and you can hold the wheel in the middle of a corner, all the way from a middle of a corner to coming at you know, the exit and you don't have to correct your line. The, that was not the case <laughs> with the 330i. Wow. It, it, it huh. required a few corrections. It was, it was fine. Like, I don't think it's a big deal on the street. Um, I, I think if you're trying to, to, to drive a slalom or something, it's, it's going to be a, a bigger issue, but it, it, it was a lovely car in terms of just a, you know, nice 
sedan that uh, drives well and and you know has plenty of power. I liked the 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 engine and I like the way it looks. I I like the uh, you know I drive and all of that stuff. It's just it's a good car. It's just it's not it's not the classical three series. It's the three series mm-hmm. that it needs to be though. Like I, I don't I don't think it's mm-hmm. I don't think that's a problem. Right. Um. But you know. The one that I probably had the biggest surprise with is the uh, the Cadillac XT6. And Sam, I know you drove this as well. Um, but I was just, I was super. I I just was anticipating not being impressed with it, and, and? it it has won me over. Uh, <laughs> I your hesitation. Well. Is- Hysterical. You know, <laughs> because you look at it and, and I say it's won me over, but you got to remember that, like, you know, press fleet cars are not necessarily uh, the base model. And th- that is definitely the case with the XT6. So this is a 7,000. Well, premium Luxor Sport. It, it's a, uh, I got the Monroney here. It is the premium luxury. So okay. it has the, um, let me look at packages here. Because it's it's very well equipped. It's got the platinum package, and uh, it's also has the I think the, the, the well I guess the platinum package includes like all of the stuff, all of the technology and the the you know I think fully maxed out you can get an XT6 up to about seventy five. And so this one is yeah, this one is seventy. Um, yeah. and so it's it's lovely at that price i don't know that the like i don't know what does it start at like 56 57 something like that uh no actually it's about 53 50 okay so the fifty three thousand dollar one is gonna feel a lot more like an acadia and that's not good <laughs> um but you know it looking at that as a starting point what i was impressed with was how the xc6 really makes a point of how important it is to sweat the details because what makes this really good in my opinion are that they, they went back through this basic car that is the Acadia and the traverse and, and actually it's not, it's not that it's not no, really. No, it's, 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 uh, it's actually based on the platform from the XT five. Um, so it's, it's about, they took the XT five. It's about two inches wider than the XT five. Uh, the wheelbase is about a half inch longer, but the body is about nine inches longer and it's taller than an XT5. So that, you know, you have a more upright seating position, but it's, it's based on the XT5, not the, not the, uh, the Acadia, not, it's not based on the, the Lambda platform. What's it based on then? Just the XT5? It's, they have their, that's uh, the yeah, C1XX. Yeah, the, the XT5 and, and this are, it's actually a mix of, a bunch of different stuff. It's <laughs> partly there's, there's some Lambda bits in there and there's some uh, stuff from the, the theta. They GM actually isn't using those Greek letter right. uh, codes for the, the platforms anymore, but it's, it's closer to uh, like the Equinox terrain uh, with some upgrades from, from you know, what used to be known as Lambda. Okay. Well, that's, that's, you know, it's, but it's, it's interesting. Uh, it's a mashup of all that stuff, I suppose. But the th- the things that I didn't like about some of the other 
similar vehicles in GM's range, like the steering. The steering in the XT6 is fantastic. It's weighted perfectly. It has, uh, especially in uh, sport mode, it's just it's it's accurate. It has uh, some some steering feel, which was quite a surprise in a three-row Cadillac front-wheel drive SUV. Um, and it you know the the ride the same thing. Uh, it it really. From a driving perspective, it's very good to drive. It's very disciplined in its its body motions. The three point six liter V six. You know, some of the complaint is that it, this is a heavy vehicle, and that's probably not enough horsepower. Even though it's got, like, I think, like three hundred and fifteen something like that. Uh, it's plenty. <laughs> it, it gets right out there, and it moves with traffic. And it, you know, I I just. I, I walked away really impressed think when I went into it thinking, oh, the aviator is going to completely mop the floor with this thing. And then I, I walked away going, no, I, I don't think so. I think that. The, the That's XTC only because you haven't driven the aviator yet. Well, well, how was the interior? I mean, Sam, you've driven both, right? Mm-hmm. So how yeah. was the how was how did how do they compare, especially from an interior standpoint? Because I spend time in the X-T5 and I and like Dan, I loved it. I thought it was. I, I actually had a, another car that same week that was arguably newer and nicer and more expensive. And I ended up taking the XT5, but I didn't like the interior. I just like the way it drove better. Yeah, the the interior of the XT6, when we first saw it in January at the Detroit Shell, um, it definitely looked more low rent. Um, yeah. The, yeah. The, production, the production models are definitely improved. Okay. Uh, between January and now, they you know they definitely m- made some changes. You know whether it was just a matter of the the show cars that they had in January were just not you know up to production snuff, or they they made some changes. They heard the complaints and made changes. Regardless, the the interior is definitely an improvement from where it was. Um, you know, but you know if you've been in any recent Lincoln. It's not up to the same standard as current generation Lincolns, including the Aviator. Sure, yeah, um, I, I would yeah. agree with that. Yeah, you know, so it's it's nice. You know, it's you know when when we talked about it last month when I after I did the the media drive, you know, I said at the time, you know, it it meets expectations. It's a, it's it's very adequate. You know, <laughs> it's it's it it meets the minimum bar for what you want in this. The segment, you know, in a premium three-row crossover, um, you know, but it doesn't really—I don't think it really, um, you know, stretches. It doesn't—it doesn't exceed expectations in any aspect that I can see. Well, the, yeah, maybe the only—the only, the only thing about this thing where I think it does, you know, beat the Aviator is in the third-row room. Really? Because mm, the third-row okay. room is not great here. It's like the the cushion is on the floor, and it's not that well, big. The, the, the cushions in this, you know, on the on the XT6 are up higher than they are in the Aviator, so you do have a little more comfortable seating position. Um, you know, it, I mean, it's not we're not talking Escalade huge here, uh, but you know, I think for a crosstown trip, you know, and I I sat in the third row, you know, um, you know when we we're you know getting a crosstown drive, um, you know, in DC with this thing, and it was perfectly adequate. You know, you're not going to take a a cross country road trip. I don't think you're going to want to spend. I don't think an adult is going to want to spend hours and hours in that third row, but um, you know, to go out to dinner with some friends, I think it, you know, it's, it's perfectly adequate. And I think it's better than the Lincoln in that respect, but that's really, 
that's about the only place where I would give the Cadillac the edge. Yeah, I mean, I don't. So my critiques were, I in term, it's funny because they they put a lot of detail into. I I agree that the interior is not great. GM is obsessed with all black interiors right now as well, at, at least in their press cars. Oh, and I think that's please stop with piano black. It's bad. I'm just gonna say that. Like this has <laughs> carbon fiber trim that just to me looks so chintzy. I don't care if it's real carbon fiber because that's also just plastic. And <laughs> so, like, it's not a luxury material to me. You can't make fiberglass a luxury material. You can't make carbon fiber a luxury material. I don't, not, not a thing that I am interested in seeing on the dashboard. Um, the all black theme, I think, actually does two things. So, it brings the, the, the materials that are real quality, it sort of brings the, the, impressiveness of the presentation down like this has napple leather it's it's got an upgrade to napple leather it's semi-aniline napple leather which is very nice uh but when it's surrounded by everything else that looks black (laughs) you know like and you see the lower parts of the door panels are you know sort of that that black like somewhat cheaper plastic because it's the lower part of the door panel doesn't have to be as expensive uh you you have a hard time gauging sort of just how how much effort they've put into making it nice. Yeah, you know, and the, the, I'm a little offended for potential buyers of this that you've got to actually pay extra to get leather on the dash and door uppers and so they nickel and dime you a bit. Um Yeah. And there were still some weird oversights like it doesn't have auto hold. Uh, like so you know where it'll hold itself at a stoplight. Uh-huh. It's it, like that's a little thing but it's a thing, you know, like this is, it's a luxury car. It should have that. There's no, it's a, it's a thing that you can get in, in very basic cars today. Right. There's no right. 110 volt outlet. Again, it's just a family car. And like, that's, that is a feature that gets used it, all it the does, time. It, but it, it does have a lot of USB ports. It does. Including USB set type C's. Yes. In, so, in all three rows. So, um, you know, yeah, I, that's the thing is that when you hear and see something in a non-luxury vehicle, you start to expect these things. Right. The, so the Corolla, the Corolla had ex, like auto down, all four windows were auto down, auto up. This one, the front windows are auto down, auto up, and the rear windows where you had to hold the switches. No again. way. Are you kidding me? No. This The $20,000 Civic has auto up. Yeah. And in the in the front, I, I get it. And, and in the rear, the rear door is like, I get that it's more expensive. And, it, you know, you need to use a couple more sensors to, for pinch protection and stuff. But still, like, it, it's a luxury car. It's a $70,000 car. That's the kind, those are the kind of moves that drive people crazy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, you know, the, 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 <sighs> again, you know, it has Alcantara on the pillars and the headliner. And it's it's very nice. Uh, it was the the new version of Q is really good. I actually like it with the control knob, the volume knob. Um, I thought it was easy to navigate, so I'm I'm pleased that that system has matured. Uh, right. But like, yes, the interior in this if it if the interior in the XT6 looked as good as the interior in the uh, the Kia Telluride does, mm-hmm. <laughs> they'd, they'd be ahead of the game. Um, yeah, but that's I mean that's part of the problem though. That's part of the 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 competitive landscape. It, it extends down to something like a Kia or a Telluride where you can legitimately say that those interiors and the overall experience is the same or better than this vehicle that is, you know, 
$10,000 more. Well, I, and it's a Cadillac. Yeah, I think the Cadillac drives a lot better than the Telluride does. Um, okay. But, you know, the Telluride, I, I love, Telluride yeah, has I more space. Yeah, I like the Telluride a lot. I, I liked it a lot as well. Um, the Telluride has a lot more, well, not a lot more, but it has more space, I think. Um, uh-huh. Especially if you're using all three rows. Uh, but the, like the chassis guys deserve a gold star because this thing is just it's really good to drive. Um, you had it in New York City, right? I drove it to Manhattan. The guys, the, the guys yeah. at Edison Quick Park on West 44th loved it. They were trying to figure out what it was. They were like, what is this a 20? Is it a Cadillac? Cadillac. I was like, so what do you think? They're like, I love it. <laughs> they were awesome. tearing around the garage in it. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> All very safely, uh, I'm sure. Yeah, and <laughs> and it's it was a it's a good car to have in in the city, you know, because it, it's I don't know, it's just about the right size. It's not as huge as an Escalade, so it's it's a little better size, and and if you don't you know need to carry, yeah, it, it's it's much it's much more manageable yeah. for an urban environment. Um, and it, it it's it's ADAS is pretty good. I I don't think it's uh it's um dynamic cruise is all that graceful. So it'll make you car sick and stop and go. Um, mm, but yeah, I mean, we, we put a boatload of miles on this thing. Like I, I think, I think I've put close to a thousand miles on it. Um, which is a lot for a press car. We don't normally rack them up like that. So I hope I don't get in trouble. Um, but I, you know, I think in terms of, I'm trying to think of like what you'd cross shop it with. Uh, certainly the Volvo XC90 comes to mind. And, mm-hmm. and again, XC90 aviator. Um, the three row version of the Lexus RX. Yeah. So um, it drives better than the Lexus drives yeah, better Mercedes, than the Volvo GLE, um, actor MDX. I think yeah. it's going to be a better value than the Mercedes. I don't it's know. that. It's, I don't know that it's going to drive better than the, uh, the, the Acura. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I think it's competitive. I think you're right though, Sam, like it's, it's, it's not like, mind-blowingly better than everything it's definitely in the hunt and if you want to try a cadillac like it 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 won't necessarily do you wrong but it's not amazing i just i my concern about the aviator is that it's just going to be more expensive because um well if you go to the grand touring uh yes you know the plug-in hybrid but if you're just looking at the gas engine versions they're actually pretty close and the the base price uh is on the the base price for the lincoln is actually about a thousand dollars less um, I haven't done a full direct, you know, equipment comparison, but I yeah. think they're in the same ballpark. Um, you know, so the, the pricing is actually pretty close on the gas aviator versus the XT6. I, and I also, I think that Lincoln maybe has a few more ownership, uh, a more positive ownership experience with the Lincoln way with the black, the black label, label. Yep. you know, I think that they offer some really nice services. In my review of the aviator, I talked about making sure that you not only compare it because there's, there is a lot of competition, but also look at some of the services that come standard with the Lincoln. Yeah. Well, and that's, I think that's really what's going to separate it is uh, how they support you and what the dealer experience is like and the ownership experience is like, but uh, yeah, I was, I was more impressed with the XT6 than I expected it uh, expected to be. And um, so I, you know, my my initial impressions were not that great of just like seeing it. I was like, huh, well, that's not all that great. But, you know, it looks good and I think it'll sell well. And um, I, I think it'll probably make more profit per vehicle than the Aviator does. But maybe Ford has that figured out. I'm just concerned about that, that rear wheel drive platform versus the front wheel drive platform. And I, you know, they've got that. I, I, I don't think, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think that that's necessarily 
you know, a significant difference in cost, um, you know, especially because, you know, the aviator shares, uh, shares its platform with the expedition or the, the Explorer, yeah. you know, so there's, you know, that's a lot of volume. There. There's a lot of scale there. Yeah. But Explorer and, prices are high, aren't they? They're kind of, they're expensive. Uh, well, but right now they don't yet have the, the basic, they're not offering the base Explorer yet. So yes, the cheapest Explorer you can buy right now is, considerably more than it was um last year but they have they have a base yeah they they do have a base version that'll be coming uh later this year uh that'll be that'll be more affordable uh that'll start around 32 i think um you know but the you know the the aviator you know the aviator uh you know reserve you know the standard aviator starts at 51 one with you know so 52 52 and change with delivery so it's about a thousand bucks less the reserve starts at 56 you know and then you know if you go all in um you know on on the the black label grand touring which is the plug-in hybrid you know then you're up to eighty eight thousand. that's a hundred thousand dollars but, not but there, there's no yeah it's, it's eighty eight thousand. but you know it's it's all <laughs> it you know that's a very different vehicle um, you know, very, it's a very different kind of driving experience from what you're going to get with the, the XT6. As good as the XT6's driving dynamics might be, the, the Aviator uh, Grand Touring is on a whole nother level. Uh, well, I will have to uh, try one and then I'm sure I will tell you you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm glad that they finally brought this, this thing out. It's like five years too late. Um, and it's... Well, re- really, I mean, you know, Back, you know, 10 years ago, you know, when they brought when they brought out the first batch of lambdas, you know, the original Traverse and Enclave and, and um, uh, Acadia, you know, there were rumors then, you know, that they were they were going to do a Cadillac version of that as well. And it never happened. It, they, you know, they, they, you know, they stopped and started multiple times. Well, they were program. going after, you know, the sedan the European sedan market. Yeah. I mean, but they've done that like five times and none of it, none of those times, the cars are good. Don't get me wrong, but it's not been successful. So just, you know, and, and we saw Lincoln do this. Lincoln was like, yeah, we're not doing that. (laughs) We're going to take the edge and we're going to make it nice inside. We're going to, you know, here, here you go. And Uh, ironically, you know, what they've come up with now with the grand touring is, more competitive, you know, against, you know, the, the current crop of, you know, big luxury SUVs, you know, than the, the Cadillac Vs really probably ever were. Huh. Yeah. Which is very you ironic. Know, yeah. You know, I mean, it's, you know, just shy of 500 horsepower, 630 foot pounds of torque. You know, I mean, this, this is a shockingly quick vehicle. Yeah. yeah that thing moves. That thing moves yeah. for sure. Not a graceful pivot, although it's sort of a hybrid. <laughs> um, I forgot to mention that I got the chance to drive the the 2020 Karma. Oh, oh, you drove it too. I, I drove it up in Traverse City. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you did. So where where did you drive, Rebecca? Uh, so I drove it at Pebble Beach. Oh, it's, so that's not that's not an ungraceful pivot. Let's talk about the Karma, and then let's talk about Pebble Beach. Um, well, it is a little bit. I mean, I, I didn't mean to. I just I. Uh, I wanted to say it before I forgot. <laughs> so you drove the you drove the 2020 Karma. I did. 
So um, they also announced the base price at one hundred and thirty five thousand dollars. And so that was they announced it August 15th. I'm like, that's kind of a lot of money for a zombie car. Well, for a zombie car, (laughs) it's you know, it was it was fun to drive. I was very surprised at how harsh the ride was, especially because it's not adjustable at all. And Sam, I don't know if you had this. And actually, my I know some people at Karma and they did admit later they thought, yeah, that it just I don't know if it was just the vehicle that I happened to have. You driving the blue one? No, it's white. Okay, so that's a different one than than the one I drove. Okay. Uh, the one one I drove was a blue pre-production model. Well, and, and these are pre-production, which I sh- yes. Right. I uh, but uh, we it was a different. It, was, it sounds like it was a different car. Might have might have had a little bit different setup than the one I drove. Well, let me. Yeah, it it was tight. Yes. It, it, so is this the Karma, like the Karma GT or the Karma Rivero? No, this, the Karma Rivero GT. Yeah, the Rivero GT, and. I, it, it, it was definitely, I mean, the launch control was loads of fun. I think I did a 4.4, zero to 60. And, and that was with three people in the car, actually. So there was a good amount of ballast in there. I, it gets, you know, has 80 miles of all electric driving. And then it has a total of 360 miles um, overall driving range. And, and, you know, it was, it was fun to drive the, you know, the handling was was nice and tight and the steering was nice and tight and responsive but it just the ride quality and it totally could have been the vehicle we hit a pothole that i thought i was going to have a bruise on my bum <laughs> and, and this was, and, and this was on a california road and i don't i don't know if it was just almost like a crease in the road or something like like a, a frost heave almost it I, I was, I still feel it today, <laughs> um, but I, I think it mu- you must, they must've had a different setup on that one than the one I drove because, you know, up in Traverse city, you know, where we were driving it, the roads were pretty bumpy and, yeah. you know, it was by no means plush, but you know, it, I, I didn't find it to be that objectionable. You know, yeah, it, you know, it, you, it, it, it was know. definitely more, sound definitely like it was definitely more compliant than the one that you drove. Okay. Yeah. But, but it, you know, the, the thing itself, though, was it was fun to drive. I mean, it's you. Oh, yeah. It, it had that feeling of driving the future, you know, which yeah. is fun. And, you know, for, for those in the audience that are not familiar with this, you know, this is the car that started life as the, the Fisker Karma a decade ago. And right. so it, that's know, what makes after, it funny when you say it's about like driving the future. <laughs> you, you, well, you know, I mean, you know, Fisker Automotive, you know, went bankrupt in 2012 or 13, 12, I think, whatever. Um, you know, and the the assets were bought up by a Chinese automotive supplier named called Wangshan Group, who also bought up the assets of bankrupt A123 batteries. And, you know, in 2016, uh, you know, at the time that the company went bankrupt, you know, um, Valmet, uh, a Swedish or a Finnish uh, company, was actually manufacturing the the Karmas for Fisker. They were doing assembly of the vehicles in Finland, and you know they had a bunch of leftover parts at the time they went bankrupt. And Wang Sheng, you know, when they bought up the assets, they got that stock of leftover parts, which included body shells, you know, the the tooling, 
um, and about a thousand engines and, and battery sets and motors. And so what they, what they did, you know, they revived production and you know, started making, you know, new bodies, um, you know, it still looked the same as the original. They just basically changed the badging uh, from Fisker Karma to the Karma, the, the, comp, the re revived company is called Karma Automotive and the model is the Rivero, uh, but with the original design and they, um, you know, they, they continued using the, the GM two liter four cylinder turbo that they had stock of and they, they built out those, you know, they built, they used up the remaining stock of engines they had. And during that time over the last couple of years, they've been re-engineering the car and, you know, uh, reworked it around the, the 1.5 liter BMW turbo that they use in the I-8 um, with an updated battery with more capacity new motors, new, new power electronics and everything. And it still has the same basic shape as the, the original, but all of the external skin, all the external body panels are different. Um, you know, it's a, a little bit cleaner, softer design, um, you know, new, new front fascia, new, new lights. Uh, I mean, you'll still recognize it, you know, as an update of the original Karma, but, you know, I think it, 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 looks, it looks really good. I think they did a good job on that. Um, you know, they've updated the interior a bit, um, and that, um, the launch control system actually works really well. It's really, really easy to use. You, you don't yeah. have to fiddle around with doing a sequence of switches and shit. All yeah. you got to do is put, put your left foot on the brake pedal, hold it, put your right foot on the accelerator, press it all the way to the floor and then release the brake. Well, pedal. that's what we used to do. That's how we used yeah, to launch. Right. <laughs> it, it was pretty yeah. awesome. It was great. Um, you know, and it's, it, I, I think it, as much as I've made jokes about it being, you know, a zombie car, or just an, an, an old design, like that's not necessarily a bad thing. And we think about some of the cars that we have loved the most throughout the years, right? Uh, long, long serving designs. Think about like the Jag XJ, uh, where the same basic car uh, got re-engineered more than once. Um, and just the, uh, there's a lot of long string of cars that debuted in like the fifties and sixties that made it all the way from like all the way up to the seventies and eighties. They have very long runs. Uh, and so, you know, if we have a modern version of that, I don't, I don't necessarily think that's a terrible thing. Um, so it's just, it's just interesting that they've done so much work. Like they got this, this shell of a car company and they, decided to make a go of it and and it's 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 interesting to me um sounds like they could use somebody to tune their suspensions now though <laughs> well, yeah, well like it's, it's pre-production so we'll see you know yeah i'll go yeah. With, uh, the next time i get to drive it i'll have an open mind and you know the they're not you know they're not aiming to you know be a mass market company you know they're only planning to sell about 500 rivero gts a year um, you know, they're, they're working on some follow on models, you know, a couple of additional models that'll be a little bit higher volume, but even then they don't, they don't intend to, to become a high volume manufacturer. You know, back when, when I interviewed Henrik Fisker a decade ago, you know, when they first launched the company, you know, he was talking about doing 15,000 cars a year, 15,000 karmas a year. And, you know, clearly that was, you know, not going to be a viable uh, you know, a viable plan, you know, it never, never got anywhere close to that. I think, you know, prior to bankruptcy, I think they sold about 2,100, 2,200 cars over the course of about two years. Um, and, you know, 
in its new iteration, you know, the company is, is taking a much more realistic view. Well, so that sounds like it was a sort of good entry to Pebble. So what, what was that like this year? Cause it seems like that's where everybody with a straw hat goes <laughs> yeah. um, to walk around on a golf course. I would feel, I don't, I'm interested. And brightly in, colored pants yeah. and jackets. I'm, yes. I'm so, I'm interested in a lot of those cars, but I also, I don't know that I would fit in, in that atmosphere. <laughs> of course you would. I would help you. Um, <laughs> Rebecca will get you all right. properly dressed up. Right. Yeah, exactly. Dan, basically, <laughs> Dan, just, you, it's one of those like parental discussions. You have two ears in one mouth. Use them in that proportion. <laughs> Don't talk. Yeah. No, I think just what, what really struck me with Pebble uh, this year, I went to, so this is Monterey Car Week. And, you know, there's a whole slew of events that go on. Um, I started out at, uh, 7 a.m. on Thursday going to Carmel where we had breakfast with at this Katie's restaurant where you have to get in line um, even at that hour of the morning and you know and then we watched the car parade come into Carmel and it just you know people were were walking around crawling all over the cars everyone was lining the streets as we saw all these you know beautiful examples going by and and then friday was quail which is this very beautiful car show it's 950 dollars just to get in and that includes food and drink but you got to drink a lot and eat a lot to justify 950 dollars. i mean that and the cars that are there that are like admittedly they're fascinating but like these are this is like this is car dressage like i just yes but what I, but what, so, you know, and then Saturday, normally I would go to the track to Laguna Seca, but, um, I, I, as I mentioned, that's I, what I want to do there. The I, I, oh my gosh, Laguna. so much fun. This year I didn't get there. I had a, I had a different schedule than I well, normally I mean, do. you were trying to eat $950 worth of wine and cheese. I get it. <laughs> that was Friday. <laughs> Saturday was Aston Martin. Uh, I was judging, I was judging the event. Uh, and then I, I, and I, we had a couple other things to do in the afternoon, but I, you know, what, what kind of struck me and then Sunday, of course, was the big, you know, the Pebble Beach Concours and, and it's just, it's such a celebration of the car in a way and, and people's relationships with their cars in ways that we just don't hear of anymore. You know, the industry is under such duress as we move from mobility as a personal uh, feature of our lives to service and, and just, you know, just a service. It's just something, you know, and, and you don't have a relationship with your car anymore. Uh, and I just, it really struck me that there was just still such a desire and, and, uh, and love of the automobile that we just, we often don't see anymore in the media. And, and it was, it was wonderful. I mean, it was really, you know, there's a sense of camaraderie there. There was a sense of, of celebration, um, of appreciation, I think for the, for the history. And of course, then also we had, you know, some products debut Acura, uh, debuted a sedan there. And just, I don't know, there was just something that had a lot of, uh, there was a lot of positive 
positive uh, interactions with the vehicles that, again, we just don't seem to have that much of anymore. So it was lovely. I loved it. So, um, tell, tell us more about what you actually do when you judge. Because, I mean, we're all, look, we all judge everybody. <laughs> like, we, we judge your cars. Um, but, <laughs> but, like, when you're actually a judge for, like, what, what, is, what, do, you, what do you do? What does that entail? So this was, this was um, Aston Martin does a separate little event uh, for their owners. And, and actually, it's open to the public as well. But they, the initial one is the initial couple of hours, first thing in the morning, uh, is invite, they invite their owners of their vehicles to bring the cars to the Sunset Center that is a performance center, actually, typically a performing arts center in the middle of Carmel. And so what I've done two of the last three years is to, I, I do the, v, the V8 engine vehicles built at Gaten, and these are typically uh, DB11s a lot of times. And, and advantages. And, and advantage as well, right. And, you know, but it's, it's, it was really just about the conversation about people that, you know, had a, you know, very deliberate choice uh, to buy this, these vehicles. And so the original, the first time they, that I did this was in 2016 and I, and two guys that have now become friends of mine, uh, Nelson and Brian, they actually won for their, uh, they have a, um, they have a DB11. It's not new though. It's actually a number of years old and it wasn't the newest car there. It wasn't the fanciest car there, but they did a couple of things. Um, first of all, the car is named Pegasus. They call her Peggy. Uh, second Peggy. of all, their, their dog Coco, uh, actually they have, uh, Brian sews a matching harness and dog pillow for, the dog to match. The I mean, car. that's a bit much with a great, it, he matches the Aston Martin stitching. It's, it's brilliant. It's hysterical. And it's hysterical. And, How much does it, it cost? It's like a, about the same as like a, a year well, at maybe a good college. <laughs> if you have to ask, you don't belong there. Dan. <laughs> See, this is my problem with it. This is the thing is that uh, most of the people bought their car used. Well, yeah, so these are second owners, but he, even a used Aston Martin right. is obscenely expensive. <laughs> yeah. $75,000. The majority of people there pay between seventy and 90000 for their vehicle. Seriously, that's that's a lot of dough for a car that you like. Uh, that's not a daily driver, you know, like. It could be, but most of them have other cars. I, I, do, I do like I do like that a lot of those cars are. I think if I, if I added up all the cars I've ever bought, it would barely come to that. <laughs> but no, but but I, I like I like that there's you know and maybe this is you know watching it from afar you don't quite get this idea, but a lot of those cars are driven and enjoyed and they have patina on them and the owners aren't afraid to. To, to drive them, to use them. And that's what they're meant for, you know? And a lot of those owners will flip you the keys. And so this was, the, so this was, the, so the overall winner. So, so I'll just recap quick, quickly. So the, the last year I did not judge last year, but that winner was this fabulous woman named Layla who recovered from, from cancer. And she treated herself to this absolutely stunningly gorgeous DB 11 
in a cinnabar, like a cinnamon color that was just, just gorgeous. And then this year's winner for Gaden V8 was a gentleman uh, that, uh, I think it's Lee Harvey's name, that he actually, uh, he bought his BB-11 and then two of his friends bought Aston Martins because of his ownership experience, which, you know, at the end of the day, again, his car wasn't the newest, but it was at the end of the day, it was the relationship that it had with his car. And he was selling, he was basically, he convinced two of his buddies to buy them as well. So those were the three quick winners, but the overall winner is such an incredible story. It's this guy um, and he, and he has a vintage Aston and I apologize. I don't have my notes here on which one, which one he had. I think it was a DB five maybe or six. Did it, did it look like the James Bond car? It did. That's a DB5. It, it, it was red, though. It was gorgeous. And he actually worked on that car in his teenage years. And then the car was sold. And then it was sold to somebody else and somebody else. And eventually ended up as a basically a garage find. And when he found it again, it needed a ton of restoration but he had become successful and he was able to buy the car and completely restore it. And he showed us the car that he used to work on and detail as a kid. I mean, it's just a That's fantastic. Cool. I mean, right. You know, if I'm ever successful, <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'll be able to get, you know, it, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that event, um, makes the transition from from generation to generation too uh one of the things that i think they noticed this year was that the auctions that sort of went along with car week um the amounts overall amounts were down they were so i went to two of three auctions for rm sotheby's and pretty consistently uh the reserve was was uh the, the the winning bid was below the estimate and sometimes below the reserve. And so the car didn't end up selling. Uh, and, and the market is definitely a little soft right now. There's actually a fantastic app that I found called Hammer Price. And you can follow along any auction for like the last six years. And it updates live as you go through the auction. So it was, it was, it was fascinating. It's, it's uh, hammer prices. It's what it's called. And you can review everything and then see what sold. And of course we had the inf- now already infamous, even more so infamous, uh, quote unquote, Porsche, not the Porsche <laughs> brand, but yeah. what they, you know, consider the first Porsche. Uh, well, no, I'm sorry. Well, they, the vehicle that they say is, was the first one that was the earliest Porsche branded vehicle. Well, no, it's not Porsche branded though. It was Porsche branded after. Right. The type 64, the 1939 type 64. It was, it was, I, it was the, it was made by uh, Mr. Porsche, but it wasn't, he was, it wasn't Porsche at the time. That's that's her doctor, her professor, Dr. Porsche. Right. It was, it was, (laughs) it was, it was designed and driven by him, but it wasn't, 
it wasn't the Porsche car company. And they are, as somebody who was at Porsche last week in Atlanta, they are very clear to say it's not yeah. a Porsche. We have nothing to do with this car. You know. I mean, it's an interesting car. And I, I don't think anybody will dispute that. Well, and they went in without a known buyer, I believe, uh, which is not very common. They typically have a good idea, you know, or of of some kind of, you know, very elegantly raised hand <laughs> uh, when you're trying to sell something like this. So it was a bit of a high stakes uh, auction anyway. And then what happened was the auctioneer, he's. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so what happened is the the auctioneer actually, if you listen to the video, to the tape of it or the video of it, uh, it, it is hard to, to hear what he's actually saying. And having been in the room, there are times when I've had trouble hearing what he says. He's, he's originally Dutch and he's, he speaks a number of languages, uh, but it sometimes is a little is a little difficult to understand what he's saying. So uh, Martin Tenholder is his name and he's, he's based in London. So he already, you know, has a little bit, he's Dutch with a, with a British accent. And what happened was they started the bidding on this wall, which I don't know that he has visibility into that he can see it when he's up on the podium. And so he said the the bidding will start at 13 million and they, they put up 30 million, 30 million. And then it jumped to, I, I think, I think it was uh, 16 million, which became 60 million and 70 million, which was actually 17 million, but became 70 million. And as this is happening, the room is going crazy because it would be the most expensive vehicle ever auctioned by far, far and away exceeding the 48.5 uh, from the Ferrari 250 GTO. So, <laughs> you know, so this was uh, this building and building. And then all of a sudden he turned and was like, no, 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 we're at 17 million, not 70. And of course, then everyone was in an uproar and they ended up stopping the bidding. And I think at the end of the day, there actually wasn't a bidder in the room. I don't think anybody was was actually I mean, I think there were bids on it, but they weren't they weren't going to meet reserve and they ended up just stopping the bidding. And so they're going to continue to try and sell it to somebody else. But it really was a, a, a an enormous embarrassment and a huge disappointment uh, to the, the Pebble Beach auctions, which are another highlight. That's always a lot of fun to participate in and to go to. Yeah, well, I mean, they at some point, somebody's going to buy that thing. I just I, even like. Seventeen million dollars. Like that's a that's a lot of money for a, a Proto three fifty six. I think the the high. Correct me if I'm wrong, Rebecca, but I think the highest price for a car sold at the at Monterey this year was the uh, that McLaren F one that went for just shy of twenty million. Right. Yes. Which yeah, is I believe like, that's right. That's also bonkers. As much as I love those, those are like those were one of the poster cars when <laughs> when I was younger, but. The, and they were they those have never cost less than a million dollars, but no, 
there were there were a million new and you know they they had plans to build 300 of them and they're even despite winning overall at Le Mans in 1995 they could not sell 300 of them they ended up only building 106 of the 300 that they planned to build because there just weren't buyers for them even at a million dollars and you know now you know, now they're going for, you know, anywhere from 10 to $20 million. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing car. Oh, yeah. Sure. No, I mean, one of the oh. fun things that, so, so at the, um, at the Thursday, RM Sotheby's, they had technical drawings for, so Thursday was all Aston Martin. And so they had technical drawings for an Aston Martin that sold for $26,000. And then, the next lot came up. It was a 1992 Aston Martin Virage that sold for twenty thousand. <laughs> so you could have actually, you actually bought the, somebody bought the car for less than these technical drawings went for. But this, this uh, um, for, for what it's worth, that that Virage was not a great car. Yeah, but but so so the estimated price was fifty to seventy. Yeah, and it sold for twenty thousand dollars. Another one, the DB7 2003, sold for 35000 So, you know, there was definitely some, definitely some a softness to, to the market. Um, but that could be, you know, it's also a combination. These are global events. These are global, uh, you know, global buyers. And I think that Brexit is certainly playing a, a role in the global uncertainty, the tariffs. There's, there's other external factors that are coming into play when we think about you know the the people that are buying at at auctions and at Sotheby's, oh, yeah, because yeah, you know, I mean, it, these are high end people. Look, right now, on the eve of a uh, a deep recession, you should convert all of your holdings into cash to stuff in the mattress. Yeah. Car, <laughs> cars are not a good investment right now. Um, yeah, so. so, but yeah, it, it'll it'll sort of run in cycles. I mean, I think we're also just seeing interest shift from what it had been to a different type and class of car, you know, like it's sort of like the bring a trailer effect, uh, just sort of writ large, like the weird, less old stuff is now starting to command just insane prices for stuff that was just old cars. Not too long ago. Well, I think we're starting to see the baby boomer effect. Yeah. Where they're like, they're leaving. No, like the muscle cars and stuff. You know, they're coming into retirement and they have some money to spend. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, muscle cars have been, they had a peak and it fell off a bit. Um, I think we're, I guess we'll see as it plays out. I, I'd expect to see the post muscle car era stuff start to also move up in price as, as well. I, yeah. I mean, a 1973 Volkswagen thing. Went for thirty three thousand dollars. Well, you can't oh. res- can't restore one more cheaply, yeah. right? And, well, and then the nineteen fifty six Volkswagen twenty three window Samba bus a hundred thousand dollars. However, the estimate was one fifty five to one ninety five. Yeah. So I think that actually was a little bit of a disappointment yeah, for probably, them. Probably probably lost money. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, come on, it's it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I. So yeah, so the market's definitely changing. Just, just, I'm not going to tell anybody my favorite stuff because I want to keep it cheap. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody. 
All right. Uh, so Sam, we have anything yeah. else to cover? Or are we, uh, are we, um, do you want to just, do you, you want to just, uh, acknowledge the, uh, the death of Ferdinand Piech? Sure. Uh, for, Ferdinand okay. Piech wait, wait. is kaput. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yeah. you're so disrespectful oh <laughs> uh, it's not disrespectful yeah, but, you know Pia was the uh, you know, grandson of the original Ferdinand Porsche um, you know he had an amazing career um, you know he was at, you know at Porsche you know he was he was behind the uh, the, the Porsche 917 you know one of the, the all time great uh, endurance racing cars um, you know, during his tenure at Audi, running Audi uh, engineering, he he created Quattro, uh, you know, which has become synonymous with Audi, and you know was the the first really successful modern high performance all wheel drive system, and then later went on to run Volkswagen, the Volkswagen brand, and then the entire Volkswagen Group. Um, and you know, he was a brilliant engineer, but extremely difficult to work for, and and he instilled. Um, a culture within the Volkswagen group, within the various brands, which ultimately may have come back to, to bite the, the company, you know, because of the, you know, uh, this culture that, you know, did not allow people to say no, you know, or to push back uh, against management. And, you know, un under his, uh, uh, his successor, Martin Wintercorn, you know, that's when Dieselgate happened. And, uh, you know, I think without that culture that, that Piaf had originally instilled in the company, you know, it's possible that Dieselgate might not have happened. Yeah. Um, but then, but then, you know, we might not also have this flood of electric Volkswagens and Porsches and, and other stuff that's coming down the pipe in the next few months. So, yeah, well, um, we, we may not have had the uh the greatest achievements of Volkswagen over the last 30 years either we no absolutely absolutely true yeah he, he i i really he his hand is in all of the the Volkswagen stuff that is just the the most amazing and dynamic i mean they had a string of hits from the A4 in like 19 what is that 1994 95 when it debuted all, just a string of cars that were all just uh, engineered in their own way. They weren't copying anybody. They were pushing what could be done. Uh, they're, they're, <laughs> they're a terrible long-term ownership experience unless you like to repair them. But you look at them and just the the way those cars were designed and built and executed. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's and, a, a real and, common and he, thread. Yeah. yeah, he... he he was in large part responsible for Volkswagen becoming, you know, if not the largest, you know, one of the two largest automakers in the world. Yeah. I definitely don't agree with the management style. I, I, you know, no. I think that you do need to push your teams to achieve what they may think initially is impossible, but you don't, you don't need to do it with fear and with uh, just like, I think there's, there's other ways to instill that same kind of, achievement i suppose it, it was it was sort of the anti-empowerment movement yeah <laughs> Absolutely. culture there but it yeah. also came as a shock i mean he wasn't he's i mean 82 is it's not yeah. young but that's not necessarily that old these days so. no but there's a big difference between like you know as you get into your 80s 
You nice. start to age. Yeah. And you know, he, he, he wasn't exactly, you know, renowned as, as someone who uh, took life easily. You know, he, he, uh, he lived, let's put it that way. Well, good for him. I, I, <laughs> you know, I may not make it to my eighties either. Just to, your, your star burns bright, but hot. <laughs> yeah. so rest in peace. Yeah. Or in typical Volkswagen fashion, rest in pieces. I'm ah. sorry. Can't help it. You actually missed out the opportunity said rust in pieces. Rest in pieces. Well, they rust before they rest. Well. <laughs> All right. Oh. Uh, this has been uh, Wheel Bearings number 121. Then we did another podcast, and we'll come back again uh, for another one soon. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and you know where to find us. Uh, definitely catch our poll on Twitter uh, about whether you have uh, a manual or a Prindle. Um, and we'll see everybody next time. Yeah, and I'd love to find out what manuals those are and Twitter. So, right us. All right. Thanks. All right. Bye. Bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.